Turn, please, to uh, Isaiah chapter 7. Put a marker at Isaiah 7. Let me say it that way. Put a marker, please, at Isaiah chapter 7 and turn to Matthew chapter 1. So we'll begin reading today in Matthew chapter 1, but we're going to flip over to Isaiah chapter 7. So put a marker at Isaiah 7 and then open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And uh, while you're doing that, let me ask you to do something in the next couple of weeks. And that is, if you um, were here in the spring when we did our miracle offering, uh, I keep hearing these testimonies. You know, here we are coming toward the end of that, the year now, and I keep hearing these testimonies from people. They grab me in the hall or see me somewhere, and they say, let me just tell you what's happened since we gave that miracle offering. Uh, I'd like to hear every one of them. And so if you have a testimony, if you were here during that time, it was in April, and we did our miracle offering, maybe it was March, March or April, it was in the spring, um, and you have a testimony from that, if you will write it and email it to me, please. I'd like to, I'd like to hear that testimony, all right, of something that God did in your heart, uh, and then how God responded as you gave a, a, a sacrificial offering to him. So, and the email address is in the bulletin, just it's right here at the church, robert at gatewaydfw.com. We want to talk about today the birth names of Christ. Here's Christmas, and we talk about at Christmas the birthday of Christ. And that's wonderful to talk about the day that he was, he was born and to celebrate his birth. But I don't know if you know, at his birth, he was given two names. And we are all familiar with one of those names, and you'll, you'll recognize the second name when we see it in Scripture. But that's what I want to talk about, because names in the Bible are important. Names signify a destiny that you have in the Bible. In other words, God picked out a certain name for his son, and God picked out names. There are many names, by the way. We're going to see several of them in the Bible today that that talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. But all of these represent his character and his destiny, what he was to accomplish and what he was to fulfill when he was on this earth. And so I want to explore the two birth names of Christ and see what they mean and what they mean to us and how they uh, affect us even today. So, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I think that's interesting since we just finished this series on the Holy Spirit, that that which is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you, I want you to notice the you here, it's very important, and you shall call his name Jesus for, for, or because, here's the reason his name was Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. Also notice his people. Verse 22, So also this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they, notice the they here, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her, forth her firstborn son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. And notice the two names here that the angel talks about. Jesus and Emmanuel. How did Joseph know which one to name him? You know, if I'd been Joseph, I, I, I might have named him Jesus, Emmanuel, David. You know, because Joseph was of the house of David. So David would have been his last name. That's where our last names came from. A lot of people say, I don't understand. They came from the house of. And it just you just begin shortening. Rather than say Jesus or Joseph of the house of David, they eventually just became Joseph David. You see what I'm saying? So I probably would have given him Emmanuel as a middle name. Um, middle names in our family uh, are important. I, I don't know why. I, I, they just are for some reason. Um, most of you have a, is there anyone here that doesn't have a middle name? Anyone doesn't have a, isn't, is that right? Well, we'll give you Emmanuel. You can have the beauty of that one as a middle name. You, you, okay. So, but, uh, my middle name is Preston. Um, and, uh, it's been in five generations now. The firstborn son has the middle name Preston. Now, you probably have already gone in your mind then Robert Preston Morris. That means my initials are RPN. I don't want to hear any comments. About that, I'm very wounded from my growing up about RPM. Uh, but my son, my firstborn son, is named Joshua Preston Morris. My father, uh, middle name Preston. My grandfather, my great grandfather. All the firstborn sons have uh, Preston. By the way, they're also all the initials RPM or JPM. And right now, there are three uh, JPMs and two RPMs. So obviously, then my grandson. Needs to be an RPM. See, you know, I'll probably have a grandson named uh, Rupert Preston Morris or something, you know, something like that. Um, but that, you know, if I were Joseph, you know, the angel says, uh, you shall call his name Jesus. Then he quotes his scripture, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So maybe Jesus, Emmanuel, David, Christ. You know, I, I don't know. Somehow they would have gotten all in there. But how did Joseph know to call him Jesus? He, he knew because of the, the words that I pointed out to you where the angel said, and you, you shall call his name Jesus, but they shall call his name Emmanuel. They here is referring to the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, it's, this is a messianic prophecy proving to the nation of Israel that this was their Messiah. This is the one they had waited for. It said, and he, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, obviously, he's the Savior of the world, but it had been prophesied for years and years that this Messiah was to come from the nation of Israel, and God wanted the nation of Israel to recognize this is the one. This is the one. And he comes from the house of David. This is him. This is Emmanuel, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So his name was Jesus and Emmanuel. Well, so let's talk about what those two names represent. Number one, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Now, I don't want to burst your bubble um, here, but no one ever called him Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the best translation in the Greek of the Hebrew name Yeshua. He was called Yeshua. And that's our best Translation. Matter of fact, in the Greek, it almost sounds um, Spanish. Uh, Jesus is what it would be in the Greek. Jesus. And of course, in, in Spanish, it's Jesus. 
And so that is our Jesus then would be our English translation of the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Did everyone follow that? Okay, you say, well, you've got me thoroughly confused now. Well, that's the whole point of preaching. All right, so his name in the Hebrew was Yeshua. Now, let me tell you where Yeshua came from because it's very interesting, and we need to know why would God have given him the name Yeshua. And God was working years before, 2,000 years before this, God was already working to, to bring people, the, the, the Jewish people, to the understanding of what the name Yeshua would be. Yeshua comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, or Jehoshua, as we would say. Jo- Joshua, if you remember, there were only two in the Old Testament that had that name. Joshua, who was the one who succeeded Moses, who took the people into the Promised Land. Joshua, now I want you to think about this. Joshua did for the people what Moses could not do. And that was take them into the Promised Land. All right? And that's important, and I'll come back to that in a minute. There was another Joshua in the Old Testament. Both of these are types of Christ. And that was their high priest after their Babylonian captivity that led them out of bondage back into the land, into that overcoming Christian life. Again, that's what Joshua did, the first Joshua, into the promised land. But he was the high priest. Jesus is our captain and our high priest. He is both. And that is the, those were the two in the Old Testament. Joshua, now, the one that followed Moses, was not born with the name Joshua. A lot of people don't know that. His mother did not name him Joshua. His name was Hoshea. In other words, that is, Hoshea means salvation. That was his name. Moses changed his name to Jehoshea or Jehoshua. And he took the Jah from Jehovah, and Jehovah is the name for God. So Moses changes Joshua's name from salvation to God is salvation. Are you following me? And it was Jehoshua, and then it was shortened later to Joshua. But Jesus' name was not Joshua. It was not Jehoshua. It was not God is salvation. Jesus' name was Yeshua, J-E. Now, J-E comes from Jehovah, and Jehovah, the literal translation of Jehovah is, I am that I am. I am that I am. It's what he told Moses in the burning bush. You remember that? So the J-E on the front literally means I am. So I want you to think about this. Jesus' name was not God is salvation. Jesus' name was I am salvation. Is that good? You better think that's good because I studied for this message. I am salvation. That's what his name means. And so he was saying to the whole nation of Israel and to the world, I am here. I am the Messiah. It's not that God is your salvation. I am your salvation. And that's his name. It's the only one who was ever named that. Yeshua. That's his name. So God is our salvation. But again now, it comes from the Old Testament type, Jehoshua, or God of salvation. Now, I want to say again, Joshua did something for the people that Moses couldn't do. He led them into the promised land. Moses represents the law. See, the law came through Moses. We're told that several times in Scripture. As a matter of fact, the Bible sometimes is referred to Moses and the prophets, which would be the law and the prophets. The first five books of the Old Testament being the law, the Pentateuch, the law and the prophets. Moses, the law. Now, I want you to think about this. Joshua, salvation did for the people what Moses, the law, 
couldn't do. The law could only take them so far. But salvation comes along and does for us what the law can't do. Isn't that good? (laughs) And that's what Jesus does. The law can never get you to the place of a relationship with God. Never. Only salvation by grace can. I've told you before that um, my wife and I kind of had this thing about secular songs because I listened to secular music growing up and she didn't, and I'm glad she didn't. Um, because she she became a believer when she was nine, and I didn't become a believer until I was 19. And so we'll be in restaurants, and these songs come on, these old songs, and I, you know, and I I recognize them. She does that. She kind of does because of you know being in restaurants and hearing things or stores and hearing these old songs. But we were in this restaurant one time, and this song came on. Now, I'm going to find out how old you are <laughs> if you recognize this song. The song that came on was "I Fought the Law." And the law won. You, know, you remember that song? <laughs> we had this older couple last night that were uh, even older, and they were shaking their heads. And so they were, they, they were even before, you know, the song. They didn't remember it. But I thought the law and the law won came on, and so I started kind of singing the song, you know, in the restaurant. I thought the law and the law won, you know, like that. And De- Debbie went, looking at me like that, and I said, what are you, what are you doing? She said, what did you say? I said, I fought the law and the law won. That's what She said, is that what that song said? I said, yeah. What did you think the song said? She said, I thought the song always said, I walked the dog and the dog won. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, to the pure, all things are pure, you know. She would never even think about fighting the law, you know. So, But what the song says is, I fought the law, and the law won. Now, here's my point. Why am I bringing up this secular song? Here's the point. All of us fought the law, and the law won. None of us ever beat the law. But Jesus did. Jesus fought the law, and Jesus won. Jesus does for us what the law can't do. Jesus came and became a man. See, his, his name, Jesus, represents his humanity. It represents that he became fully man, that he was born of a virgin, that he was born of a woman, that he became a man. And as a man, he lived a perfect, sinless life. As a man, he fulfilled every job and every tittle of the law, every minor part of the law he fulfilled. Jesus does for us what the law can't do. And this is what the Bible says is his purpose as Jesus, that he will save us from our sins. And listen, this is very important. It doesn't say he will save us in our sins. And it doesn't say he will save us for our sins. It says he will save us from our sins. Listen to me carefully. There is no salvation apart from being saved from sin. You're not going to stay in your sins and go to heaven. You've got to come to a place when you'll repent and turn from your sins and turn to God. You can't turn to without turning from. This is very, very important because there are people who go to church all the time who don't want to turn away from their lifestyle, who don't want to turn from their sin, and they think somehow by the enemy they've been deceived that they can turn to God. You cannot turn to God without turning from sin. Jesus came to save us from our sins. 
out of our sins. He saves us from the penalty of sin. Completely and totally, from all penalty of sin, He saves us. But He not only saves us from the penalty of sin, He saves us from the power of sin. And I want you to understand this. If you're a believer today, there is no sin that can have power over you unless you let it. No sin. He completely, totally. And I understand what it is to have a besetting sin. I understand what it is to have some habit that I I, I don't want it in my life. And I promise God a a thousand times I'm never going to do it again. But I want to say to you today, don't give up. Because God does come to save us from our sins. And He has the power to completely deliver us and set us free from the penalty and the power of sin. If you have a besetting sin, don't give up. Don't say, I'll always have it. Say, I'm going to continue, continue, and continue to turn from that sin and turn to Jesus. He saves us from the penalty and He saves us from the power of sin. And here's some even better news than that. One day He will ultimately save us even from the presence of sin. Because in heaven there's no sin. No guilt, no condemnation, no shame, no bitterness, no unforgiveness, no immorality, no pride, no anger, no sin. We're going to live for all eternity apart from the presence of sin. Because Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's what he does with Jesus. Here's the second thing. His name is Emmanuel. What does he do as Emmanuel? Flip back to uh, Isaiah chapter 7, please. This is the prophecy that the angel quoted that day. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. Isaiah 7, verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. That's the Messianic prophecy given to David, the house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself, there's himself again. I I told you how much I like it when the Bible says God himself does something. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, at first glance, it seems like Ahaz is doing the right thing here. If you don't know the historical, uh, the history of this verse, we think that maybe he's doing the right thing. But when he says, no, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. I'm not going to test the Lord. Now, let me just say what was wrong with this. A couple of things wrong. Number one, God told him to ask. <laughs> and let me just say, make this statement. When God says jump, jump. If God says do something, you do it. The Lord said, ask a sign for me. He didn't, he didn't, and not ask the sign because he didn't want to test God. Actually, the reason he did it was not that he didn't want to test God. He did it because he didn't want to trust God. You see, uh, Assyria was attacking Judah. And Ahaz had already made an agreement, an alliance with the nation of Syria. And so he's going to them for his help rather than going to God. Isaiah comes and says, God will help us. God will be here. And you don't need to go to them. God will take care of us. There have been numerous times when we were outnumbered and God took care of us. Don't go to and make an unholy alliance with someone else. And then he says, ask God for a sign. He said, no, no, I'm not going to test God. This was what was wrong was he didn't want to trust God. He didn't want a sign. 
He didn't want the sign to come through and say everything's going to be okay because he'd already gone behind the God's back and behind the people's back and made an alliance. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so Isaiah says, well, let me just say something. God is going to give you a sign. The sign is Emmanuel. In other words, God with us. If you'll trust God, God will be with you. If you won't trust God, God will be against you. That's the difference, by the way. It's either God with us or God against us. Which one you want? <laughs> it takes trust, though, to be able to be to, for God to be with us. See, he'd already made up his mind that his way was better. How many times do we do this? That when something happens, instead of trusting God, we go and try and manipulate and control and somehow do something behind the scenes to get the situation taken care of, rather than trust God. And that's exactly what Ahaz did. And by the way, this prophecy was given to the house of David. In other words, the house of David's not going to fail. It's not going to pass away until a virgin conceives and bears a son. And this has happened. This is one of the greatest proofs to the Jewish people that the Messiah has come. Because you can't find the house of David anymore. The house of David's not ruling anymore. And this is what he said. The house of David's not going to pass away until a virgin conceives and bears a son. And guess what? A virgin conceived and bore a son. And his name is Jesus. His name is Yeshua. This is one of the first messianic prophecies. By the way, um, let me just tell you what messianic means, because I know sometimes that's a big theological word, and, and some of you are new believers, and, and I understand, because I was a new believer at one time also. I went to church, and they preached out of, uh, you know, the, the uh, I looked in the Bible, it had the book of Job, and I read that because I needed one. <laughs> um, but it didn't help me much, I can tell you that. So I understand that. But the word messianic, all it means is pertaining to the Messiah. That's all it means, pertaining to the Messiah. In other words, if I say something is a messianic scripture, that means it's a scripture pertaining to the Messiah. It's a scripture about the Messiah, okay? So there are many messianic scriptures. Let me tell you one of the first messianic prophecies that most people miss. God said to Adam, to Eve, and to Satan, her seed is going to crush your head. Very first one right there in Genesis already. And Isaiah is filled with Messianic prophecies, by the way. Let me just show you, um, uh, flip over one page, Isaiah chapter 8. This is, again, about Emmanuel. And the first part of this is kind of hard to understand, but, but just stay with me, all right? It's talking about how the enemy is going to come against Judah, but because God is with them, how God's going to take care of it. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8. He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land. O Emmanuel, be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken to pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. He's saying, you, those of you around Judah, you better listen to what I'm about to say. Gird yourselves, get ready, but you're going to be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Watch verse 10. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Here's what Isaiah is saying here through the Spirit of God. All of you nations that are coming against Judah, you can make all the plans you want, but they're going to come to nothing because God is with us. Now, here's what's good about that for us. The enemy can make plans against your family can consult together with all of his demons, but his plans will come to nothing because God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God with us. 
Isaiah is full of Messianic prophecies. I'll just show you a few. Isaiah 28:16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. This would make a good song, wouldn't it? <laughs> a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Obviously, that's referring to Jesus being the cornerstone. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's the, the message that God gave John the Baptist so that all Israel would recognize the one coming after me is the Messiah. Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. And the whole chapter, you know this, but the whole chapter of Isaiah 53 is about him, right? Let me just read you a few of those verses. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And don't just read over this. I want you to really catch this. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. These are all messianic. These are all scriptures about the Messiah, about our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And just flip. You may need to flip one other page. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Hang on, let's not look at it yet. <laughs> let, me, let me give you some background because uh, I want you to recognize what you're about to read. We're talking about Jesus and Emmanuel, obviously the same person, but the two, two of these names spoken over him at his birth, declaring his destiny, all right? Jesus represents his humanity. Emmanuel represents his divinity. Jesus was fully man and fully God. Jesus, Emmanuel. Jesus being fully man, born of a woman, born of a virgin. Emmanuel being fully God, God with us. When he was walking on this earth, God was walking on this earth. <laughs> see? So I want you to just see in this verse, this is a, a, a prophecy about him. You, if you'll look closely, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to cause this to jump off the page to you, you'll see Jesus and Emmanuel. I won't use those two words, but you'll see it. I want you to, I want you to see. Jesus being that he was born of a woman. Emmanuel being that he was the Son of God and that he was given as a gift from God. Alright? You're, you, you're, you're gonna recognize the scripture, but I want you to watch this, alright? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. These are some other names I told you we'd see. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Now look at that first line. Look at it carefully. Unto us a child, Jesus, is born. Born. He was born a man. And unto us. A son, Emmanuel, the Son of God, was given. As a child, he was born. But as a son, he was given. 
As Jesus, He was born. As Emmanuel, He was given. This is what I want you to see. I want you to see both of these. Listen carefully to me. As Jesus, He brings us to God. As Emmanuel, He brings God to us. He is our mediator. He is our advocate. God the Father and we were separated because of sin. God the Father cannot have any, any, any fellowship with sin. Absolutely no fellowship with sin. And Jesus became our mediator. He became our go-between. And He did both things. He brought us to God. And He brought God to us. Jesus. See, that's what it said about Jesus. He will save us from our sins. And He will also be Emmanuel because He will be God with us. He does both. Uh, I was telling you a moment ago about the revelation God against us. God with us is a progressive revelation. You don't start with that revelation. Let me tell you the revelation that every human being starts with when you, the first revelation of God. And you may go years before you even have a revelation of God. You might go 50 years before you ever even understand that there is a God. But the first revelation every person has of God is God above us. In other words, we begin to realize, hey, I'm not so big. I'm not so smart and I'm not so strong. And this world isn't an accident. There really is a God. There's something above me. There's something greater than I am. God above us. The next revelation is that we have the revelation that we're sinners and that we are separated from God. So the next revelation is God against us. I'm in trouble. I'm I'm unholy. I'm impure. I, I can't know this God. He's too pure. And then God in His grace brings us the revelation of Jesus and Emmanuel, what he did for us. And then we have the revelation, God with us. God above us, God against us, now God with us. We begin to understand because of his grace I can have a a relationship with him. Now listen carefully to me again. As Jesus, he brings us to God. As Emmanuel, he brings God to us. Here's God. Here we are. And we're separated. And let me tell you what Jesus does. He brings us to God. And he brings God to us. Listen. Because of what he did on the cross, Jesus looks at us, points to God, and says... Merry Christmas. You can have a relationship with him now because I've taken care of everything. But then he looks at God. His Father points to us and says, Merry Christmas. I've done everything so that you can be with them now. As Jesus, he takes us to God. As Emmanuel.